Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Asher bakar banu mikol hamim, Venatan lanu et torato, Baruch atah Adonai, Noten ha-Torah, Amen. Baruch habab Hashem Adonai, Amen. Well, shalom, and Chag Sameach, Achron Shel Pesach, coming up speedily and soon. So I just want to say to everyone, I hope you've had an amazing week of empowerment, of increasing your superpowers, of more and more of the light of Hashem shining forth into your life, and just been doing the utmost of matzah crush. So, you know, Captain Israel brought that down very beautifully. And uh, that's Rabbi Griffin, of course. And I just want to encourage us all to continue to do so. That with all the Moedim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants unto us, that we take full advantage of every single mitzvah that we can do within that allotted amount of time. So with that being said, I want to start off with a couple of things actually from Parsha Akare because guess what? Eretz Yisrael will be going into study for Parsha Akare at the conclusion of Pesach, which ends with the middle of Mashiach. So they're going to roll right out of Pesach into Yom Kippur. Which is so crazy because Captain Israel was bringing down, rolling out of Pesach right into Sukkot on the 15th of Nisan in today's Aliyah that he dropped. Uh, this is day six of Pesach. So that uh, particular Aliyah for the week is what he brought down. So I, out of all of the Aliyah today that I could ever recommend, I totally recommend this one. He starts off very, very unassuming, like, I'm just going to read you the Aliyah today for Pesach Day 6, and then it's not going to be too over the top, but we're just going to work on some fundamentals. And then all of a sudden, he just gets crazy. So, obviously, something is wrong with him, and he needs to get some help. But, needless to say, I encourage everyone to please check out the Aliyah Day, Pesach Day 6, from Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel. So, back to Parsha Achare, though, for Yisrael. You know, Dr. Sakal and I go back and forth every week um, with insights and bombs. I literally call his drops Sakal bombs, you know. And uh, last year, we came to this understanding that Okay, so the Torah portions split after Pesach for Yisrael and the Diaspora. Uh, and it's just a common thing, not just as a Diaspora day, but particularly just because of the Torah reading and the Torah cycle. So we won't be able to catch back up until Parsha Bechukotai, getting us ready for Shavuot. So we're going to be like a week behind, so to speak, if we do not live in Eretz Israel on the Torah cycle, which is totally fine to an extent because, you know, that's just what we do. But however, all of the, the goods, you know, are just getting thrown down and we're just like, OK, we're a week behind. We'll get there. Hang on. 
so anyway him and i talked about this last year and you know he was like you know what i'm just gonna go ahead and study i'll be fine you know just go ahead and do it and and i can have two weeks of studying a car and you know kind of thing I, I can study two tour portions at once because you know he's crazy like that because you know dr sakal can multiply himself and be in different universes and dimensions at the same time like something's wrong with him but you know that's cool so this year i decided to go ahead and follow him this time so we have been hopping through uh parsha Achare, as well as studying parsha pesach which are different readings of parsha Bo, and um we have parsha bami bar in there we have parsha kitisa in there so We've been doing all that, so it's been really, really busy as far as study goes, but it's been really, really amazing because I wish that we could study a Parsha Achare during Pesach because it's so beautiful to look at the latter rains or the fall festivals or, you know, Yom Kippur and Sukkot while we're in Pesach and counting the Omer leading up to Shavuot, because all of these uh, Moedim, they are all overlapped and overlain. And it's really interesting. There's a text in the Midrash says about the pilgrimage festivals, about how we're supposed to come three times before Shem. And this, this should be in Parsha Pincus. If it's not, then it is in Parsha Emor. But it was talking about how Hashem wanted to put all of the Yom Tovim like close together and have them not so spread out throughout the year and didn't want to have anything in the winter for us due to traveling. So um, Bezrat Hashem, well, you know what? It's totally fine. I, I mean, I didn't really want to source that out completely, but just wanted to let you know that insight due to the fact that the Moedim were literally on a different plane of time and they constantly are on a different plane of time in our current uh, form of this reality that we live in. Because we have to know one thing, where we live now, please hear me when I say this because this is going to sound very crazy and you know, I already know, I told you I get crazy, you know, passionate, hype and extreme, 365 live for my king. Okay, anyway, but that's, that's old news. You already know that, but the current frame of reality that we live in is called fallen, right? Like we're dying and we get sicknesses and diseases and all sorts. People are going crazy and being corrupt and all kinds of stuff. And there's this little thing, I don't know, called sin or something. Yeah, kind of big deal. So because of that, Everything that is in the primordial form of Torah, i.e. the Torah as it existed before creation, we don't fully yet know, grasp, we have access to it through Mashiach Yeshua, but it's not the fabric of our reality. But it can be accessed, it can be available. This is why Mashiach says, greater things than these you will do. Not just the miracles, not just the miraculous wonders, but understanding the depth and the, the riches of the glory of Hashem, which is so funny because the glorious riches and excellencies are found in Mashiach, you know, because 
He is the essence of Hashem's word. He is the extension of Hashem. He's Ben Ha Elohim, the son of God. All sorts of stuff. But anyway, so when we look at the Yom Tov, the Yom Tovim, you know, why is there seeming to be during the life of Avraham that he gets circumcised, according to Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer, on Yom Kippur, and then three days later, when the angels visit him, it's now Pesach. But then while it's Pesach, he's hosting the guest as if it's Sukkot, which is not really different for him because he's always hosting guests. So I guess it was Sukkot every day for him. But I did talk about, and I believe it was with Mikael, the incredible Talmud, uh, back in Parsha Vaera, that pretty much the way Abraham and Sarah lived, they lived as if it was the days of Mashiach because the super supernatural and miraculous things that happened with their tents, with their own bodies, with their own souls, and how they overcame their Yatahara and all sorts of just incredible, amazing things. Just study Parsha Vayera, Parsha Chaye Sarah, and you'll get what I'm saying. Like clouds of glory leading them, you know, uh, their guests always having enough food. And I mean, you literally look at how Abraham and Sarah traveled and it looked exactly like B'nai Yisrael in the wilderness. You got the family of Israel, i.e., Abraham and Sarah and their young ones and their servants, their household. And, you know, it looks exactly like that because they have a bunch of people with them. They have a bunch of cattle, livestock. They have a bunch of wealth, treasures and all sorts of riches, you know, following them. And everywhere they go, you know, there's all this provision for them. Not to mention that the Be'er Miriam, the well of Miriam, the rock of our salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach, went with them wherever they went, which is why when Hagar was kicked out, that it followed her to go give her water so that she could be nourished while her and her son Yishmael were uh, banished out. And then that's where Memtet also shows up and speaks to her and gives her the prophecy about everything that's going to be going on with Yishmael. So yeah, that's all Parsha, Lech Lecha, and Vayera, which are actually two Torah portions that directly mirror one another. Uh, you can check out the Kehrd Humash insights on that. And it's just so beautiful how you can tie all the different parallels and correlations that go on back and forth those. So anyway, just want to point that out about the festivals that the way we celebrate them now, they're going to be drastically rearranged and the time to come and may Hashem come on and let it go let it go let Mashiach go come on let bring him finish that last bandage go ahead and bring the Shekinah and you know rectify us make for us pour pure water upon us remove our stony hearts give us hearts of flesh cause us to cry out and get out of exile you know because the cool thing is is this is not the way we're supposed to live. This is exile. You know, um, just trying to think about, man, you know, the great American dream for us who live in America or, you know, making Aliyah to Israel, which, by the way, this really hurts my heart to say this. So, yes, this is a swerve. 
I was listening to a drosh about making Aliyah and being accurately converted, whatever that means. Uh, actually, I know what that means, but anyway, uh, being converted under specific rebel name rabbis who are affiliated or who are actually not affiliated, who are certified to make true converts that can have a new lineage and be deemed to make Aliyah and be completely 100% legit according to their standards in Eretz Israel, like so much so to the point where you you could live there, have children, your children could get married to other Yehudim. It would not be a problem. No one will disregard you for your lineage because they'll be like, okay, this guy is certified and stamped Jew, even though he's a first generation Jew or his parents a few generations ago weren't Jewish or whatever. That all gets worked out. And then uh, if you die, they would not dig you up as well. Because, by the way, one of the most horrible things that happens is they do find ways to dig people's bodies up and remove them from Eretz Israel because of calling them illegitimate converts because they're not certified. And also this Josh was bringing up, the Josh didn't bring that up. I learned that uh, from another source. But anyway, the, uh, the Josh, though, was saying, if you want to be a hero and think only your conversion matters with a shim, trust me, this hurts what I'm about to say, but it's totally fine because, you know, we are heroes. We are Avengers. We're B'nai Yosef. So, I mean, if you ain't going to let him in, you know, then that's a problem because we're, we're with him. So there's that. But anyway, here's here it is. Here's the point. He says, if you want to be a hero and think your conversion only matters with Hashem and you're living for him, uh, well, that's going to be a problem. You know, you go live in Eretz Israel, you start having children and your children want to get married. They go get married and the other family wants to check, you know, background, want to check lineage, make sure, you know, everything's kosher on both sides because, you know, that kind of happens, you know, a little bit of a background check quote unquote, so to speak, when Jewish children get married, you don't just go, oh, I like you. Hey, you want to go out on a date? No. Families talk. Fathers talk. It's mainly the fathers. The mothers can talk and everything, but it's the fathers who need to step up and make it happen because you clear the airways and the whole households, everything is all good. The children find out if they like each other you know the boy and the girl they find out if they like each other and then you know they're chaperone the whole time they're not even touching which is so cool wish i would have had that but i digress but anyway so he goes on to say when you go through all that okay if you were the the hero person over here who was like yeah i'm converted before shem but i didn't go through any one of these particular rabbis uh conversion then guess what? Your son's not going to be to, your child or whatever, whether it's a girl or a boy. They're not going to be able to get married to to this other person that they're they want to get married to. And he says that they're going to hate you forever because, you know, now they can't they can't engage in, into the Jewish community because they they're illegitimate. To which I would say at that point, convert and get it done. Right. But overall, the reason I bring that up is because 
That is the current state of mind that exists for us to be considered legitimate Jews and to be able to make Aliyah to Eretz Israel. Which, at the end of the day, how do we want to be in Eretz Israel? Do we want to be in Eretz Israel with the onset of the Olam Haba or getting out of exile or whatever you want to call it? Or do you want to go over there and have to deal with all the hoop jumping and all the juggling torches? Just saying. I mean, that is the reality. We can go visit all day long, but like I like I always say and like what's inside my suit and I'm telling you this is that we're not going home until Mashiach Yeshua is going home and that means when he is done being in exile because right now wherever he is is where we need to be and where wherever we are by the way is where he is cuz he says I'm with you to the end of the age until the end of this current exile that we're in, I am with you because I need you out here being lights in the darkness and going out to those who have not known me, who do not know Torah, who are currently not walking in love, who I want to call my people, who I want to call love, who I want to call my people. Okay, because that's what I need you to do. I need you to go convert people. I need you to go teach people Torah. I need you to go bring them into the kingdom. And he didn't ever say what was deemed as halakhically converting for them, which I get that over the development of this past 2000 years, there has been a, a, a ongoing development in halakha, which is totally fine because that's how Judaism operates. However, are we going to go with Mashiach's words or are we going to go into this little pigeonhole over here? Which, by the way, if we try to go into that pigeonhole at some point, we have to ixnay our belief in Mashiach Yeshua, even though the JC character of Christianity is not really who we believe in, because we know that's a made up character. He only came around in, around the 300s from Constantine and Marcion and all that kind of stuff with something called the New Testament, which is very, very false and very, very slanderous at best. Um, and yeah, so anyway, so yeah, so we we're not giving up Mashiach and, you know, we have to stand strong and we have to fight until it's time for us to go home. You know, we have to be lights in the darkness. We have to be in the camp of the lepers because that's where Mashiach is. Okay. Now, obviously, Mashiach, his spirit is the Torah. Okay. Because we learned this again from Rashi and Ramban, Bereshit chapter one. What hovered over the waters? The Torah, the throne of Hashem, the spirit of Mashiach. Okay. Like all those different sources. But we have to, have to, have to. Understand and know that everything that Kalal Yisrael that doesn't believe in Mashiach Yeshua, okay, everything that they they do and everything that they know and they cry out before Shem. Because by the way, one of the aspects of being Jewish, literally, you have to have a belief in Mashiach that he will return though he tarries, or though he that he will come though he tarries. Because by the way, the word for come or return are the same word as Yavo. Okay? We say it in the Birkat Hamazon. Yav or Hu Yavo Yav. Wow. Alumotav. Okay, here. Let me just drop it real quick.
trying to do stuff off of memory and just being all out of tune and then just not even saying it in the right rhythm. Oh, by the way, this here we go. The 13 principles of faith. Let me just drop this on you. It says, um, number 12. Interesting. It's number 12, like the 12th son. Who was that? Oh, Benjamin, who was connected to Yosef. Okay. So 13th principle here. All right. It says, Anima Amin, like with a noon, Ma Amin, which is, I believe with complete emunah in the coming or the return, because it says Beviat, which again, Bo, can be come or return. Anyway, um, because Yavo, right? Bo is the root of Yavo. Just putting the Yod in front of it makes it a future or kind of tense, you know, because a yod in front of a word means it shall be kind of thing. Anyway, think about that with the yod and hay and the bob and hay. So it says that I believe with a complete amuna in the coming of Mashiach, even though he may delay, nevertheless, I anticipate every day that he will come. Now, with that understanding, even if there is a Yehudi who doesn't believe, quote unquote, in Mashiach Yeshua, literally, like they profess Mashiach Yeshua, which would be really cool because that means the resurrected, the resurrection of the dead would happen because if their rejection is our acceptance, what more would their acceptance be, right? You know, that's the Agarit to Rome. Uh, that's in there. Okay, but anyway, so the Birkham is on, though. It says, Bo Yavo. Berina no se alumotav tehilata dorna get you some. Right? Okay? So, yeah. So, that's in the Birkama zone. That is the line that says, but will return. Oh my goodness. It says it right there in the plain English. It doesn't even say he will come. It says he will return. It's right there. So, anyway, in case you doubt it, it's in the Sidur. And yeah, so I just want to encourage us that, you know, uh, oh, and to finish my thought about those who don't believe in Mashiach, whether they profess him or not, if they are truly walking in Halakha, if they truly devote their lives to a Voda, Torah, Chesed, if they attach themselves to Hashem, if they cry out into Shuva, if they have been mikvahed, if they are circumcised of the heart and of the flesh, um, flesh part for men only, obviously, for obvious reasons, they believe in Mashiach. They believe in the same Mashiach we believe in because the simple fact is we will not be drawn to walk in Hashem unless it is through Ben HaElohim, Mashiach Yeshua. Which is why it's so important for us to know Judaism teaches that there are Mashiachim in every generation. So to have a belief in a different Mashiach is totally fine because ultimately that Mashiach is a reflector and a pointer and an attachment, sinew, if you will, of Mashiach Yeshua himself. Kind of like running out the conduits, right? The branches, the vines, grafting in and all that kind of process. The circuitry, the wires, offshoots, okay? So... Ultimately, if it's going to be a Mashiach, it's obviously Yeshua HaMashiach. Because he is the Torah made flesh, and Mashiach is Torah. So there's that. 
So I know that may not sound comforting and you may be like, what in the world? Why are we talking about this? We're supposed to be on the last day of Pesach. Well, part of us leaving Egypt and going into the wilderness and watching our enemies um, be splashed down in a very horrible way is having an understanding that we don't get to go home and make Aliyah, be in Eretz Israel with the third temple until Hashem brings us home. This is the picture of all the commentary about Noah, whether he was righteous in his generation or not. And did he pray for people because, you know, he built his ark. And then when the flood came, you know, he just went in and didn't really stand out there for anybody. So for us, we're outside the ark and we're letting the ark get loaded up. And even if the door closes, we're going to pull a Captain Marvel and phase through the entryway and be safely boarding or safely boarding on to the ark, so to speak, which is just a, a fancy way of saying, you know, obviously during the end gathering, we will be gathered in. Hashem will gather us in. Why do you think Mashiach is coming on clouds of glory? Why do you think there are going to be pillars of fire everywhere? I talked about this, um, Parsha Tazria Medzora. So, yeah, the whole Bahima and Leviathan drop uh, from that. So, yeah, Shemini, Tazria, Medzora. Those three Torah portions in line is like the ultimate get you some for the coming of Mashiach. So, all right. So now with all of that out of the way, um, let's see here. I want to go straight to what Rabbi Griffin was. No, not yet. Not going to go there yet. I'm actually going to go to my Kare drop that I was talking about. I got two of them. So, yes, this is going to be a very long podcast. So, um, everyone, please be comfortable. Uh, the stewardess will come by with uh, almonds and grape juice. So, you know, enjoy yourself. Everything's kosher for Pesach because that's just how we fly during this week. All right. So, first of all, why do we have a... Uh, what is it called? Tradition that Mashiach was 33. Well, I want to bring that down because you know those two goats that are offered on Yom Kippur? Well, check it out. This is cited by Benny B. And here's all his sources. But I just want to take a second and read this whole thing because you got to read the whole thing to put it together because it's really crazy. It's really deep. Okay, ready? <sighs> Rabbi Abraham. Ibn Ezra makes an extremely cryptic comment on the passage from Vayikra 16.8, by the way, it says, and if you are able to understand the esoteric meaning of that which is after the word Azazel, you will also know the esoteric meaning behind the goat sent to Azazel. All right. So that's part one. Okay, so let's go to 16.8 real quick. Hang on. Wrong gun. Put that gun down. Get this one. All right. Going ballistic with these logistics. This is me taking time to uh, pull up my source right now. Please enjoy the music while your party waits. Just kidding. Okay, 16.8. 16.8 is... And he shall place lots upon the two goats, 
one marked for Adonai and one marked for Azazel. And uh, understand what's after Azazel. It says, Le Azazel Vehikriv, which is Aharon shall bring. Okay, or Aharon brings near. All right, so he says that you, this is uh, Ibn Ezra again, right? Ibn Ezra. He says, You'll also know the esoteric meaning behind the goat sent to Azazel and the esoteric meaning of its name. Okay, so understand the meaning of that which is after the word Azazel, which is the brain near. And you will also know the esoteric meaning behind the goat. So the goat that's sent away is also going to bring near. Okay, that's crazy. So you're going to push something away that's going to die a very, very horrible death. But it's also going to do this thing of bringing us very near at the same time. And then it says, for there are Havarim, it, for it in scripture, which Havarim, we know is the root of Avengers, by the way, us superheroes fighting together to bring the light of Hashem to the four corners of the world, to battle against lawlessness of all kinds and anti-Semitism and rooters of different species. Anyway, I don't know. But something to that effect. But Havarim also means parallel examples, which is so cool because when you think about Havarim, it's also what's used for Perushim, like the Pharisees. We're a group of Havers. We're beloved brothers and sisters to one another. We're like a very tight knit family because we are walking in things that the world does not walk in. So that makes us by default. If hopefully it makes us by default close to one another because ain't nobody else doing this. So we need to really take stock in that. Like you're not going to like people who are also considered alone for what? I'm sorry. We're both separating meat and dairy. We're both walking in Torah and mitzvah. We're studying the Torah portions every day. We're davening as much as possible. We know what the feeling are. We know what ZZ are. We keep our heads covered and we don't, you know, eat unkosher things. So, like, what what do we have against one another? So, yeah, that's really a Selah moment because I believe... Yeah, I'm just going to put this out here. This is a Shomermanism, if you will. That, when we get over that little detail, that's 160th of the Alam Haba, like every single day. Because we can walk up to any Yehudi and be like, Shalom, would you like to daven Minka or Shakarid or whatever time it is? Or, hey, just need to ask you a question. I was looking at, you know, the Rambam over here and trying to figure this out. And part of this is in Ivrit and I'm still learning and I'm still learning Ivrit. I can kind of sound out the word, but I was just wondering if you could help me with definitions or if you could give me a little bit more to elucidate, you know, like something like that. Just just a really small example, you know. But anyway, just imagine that any Yehudi, they're not going to say, Anything about you because of who you're affiliated with or what type of keeper you're wearing. Okay, that has got to go. It's got to go. Homeboy's got a head covering on. 
he fine, okay? He cool. Alright? Just let it go. Let it go. Anyway, so Havarim in this instance, he's even even Ezra is bringing up that there are other parallel examples for these meanings, these esoteric teachings behind the goat sent to Azazel. All right, if that wasn't confusing enough with extra swerves, back on track here. So Ibn Ezra is still going. He says, and I will reveal a little of the secret through a hint. When you are 33, you will know it. Seriously? So in order to understand the meaning of that, which is after the word Azazel, like drawing near. Okay, because we discovered that. That's Vayikra 16, verse 9. That's the first word. By the way, let me read this whole verse. So this is what's written after Azazel. Aharon shall bring forth the goat designated by Lot for Adonai, which he is to offer as a sin offering. Come on, man. Because, you know, the whole time, first of all, Knowing that Yeshua is 33, and when is the the Yom Kippur moment of the two goats and the lots, and who's to Hashem and who's to Azazel? Namely, when he's matched up with another quote-unquote goat, if you will, whose name is also Yeshua. But his name is Bar Abba, which means literally son of the father, which is obviously a euphemism for Mashiach. Okay? So you got two Yeshuas. One is called Bar Abba, hidden meaning, Mashiach. The other one is called Yeshua Hanotri, but he's called Yeshua HaMashiach. Like, unconcealed. Like, everything's out there. He's called Yeshua HaMashiach. He's a Nazarene and all that, right? So, yeah. So, you mean to tell me you're going to have to choose between Yeshua HaMashiach or Yeshua HaMashiach? Like Baraba Hamashiach. Yeah, okay. So this is a Yom Kippur moment. And what do the people choose? They choose the concealed Yeshua Hamashiach because his name is Yeshua Baraba. But unless you know Jewish sources, you don't know Yeshua Baraba literally can be Yeshua Hamashiach because Baraba again is a euphemism for Mashiach. Anyway. So the people choose that, which goes back to what TTB, Torah to Bezora, and I talked about during Parsha Metzora, that Sanhedrin 98 brings down, if we are not meritorious of the redemption, then Mashiach is going to come in riding on a donkey instead of coming on the clouds of glory. And what does that mean? Ultimately, that means the redemption is going to come in a concealed way because we're not ready for the open revealing of it. So not only did Mashiach ride in on a donkey, but we also chose Baraba instead of Yeshua HaMashiach to be set free. But the cool thing about that, though, is the go to Azazel is super importante because why? It takes up on it the very sins of the community of Israel. How do we know that? Well, man, Vayikra 16, verse 10. While the goat designated by Lot for Azazel shall be left standing alive before Adonai to make expiation, i.e. to cover the sins, make atonement, kippur, literally, 
And it's that's what the Hebrew says here. And to make expiation and to send it off to the wilderness for Azazel. Because the thing is, you take the sin out of the camp through the Azazel goat. So what is this really saying? Before we even get to the rest of this commentary, which is a lot. But anyway, um, it says that whatever gets put on Azazel is going to get removed from the camp, get removed from the community. So now, Kalal Yisrael is standing here at the choosing of the two Mashiachs, whether it's going to be Bar Abba or Mashiach. They both, by the way, they both look alike because they're both seen as criminals. They're both sentenced to die, okay? Right now, currently, they're both on trial, and it's not good for either case. And one is going to get set, quote-unquote, free, but yet it's still going to die because Azazel, quote-unquote, gets set free. It goes out into the wilderness. That's freedom out there. But the only problem is there's a person with that goat, and they're going to tie a scarlet thread to it, and they're going to tie it to a boulder, and then they're going to push it off the cliff. And if it doesn't die from the fall, the boulder is going to come down on top of it. Okay, yeah, that's pretty gruesome. And uh, shouts out to Shoresh for dropping this down for me. He found a beautiful source about Kevis, which is the word for lamb. Ask me how lamb and goat match. Oh, yeah, because Pesach, you can either bring a kid or, or a lamb or a kid goat or a lamb. So either way, which kid, by the way, just literally means anything of the flock. So whether it's a kid of the of the lamb or a kid of the goat. So just. There's all that. Anyway, uh, and goat's blood is the closest thing to human blood when it's in its first year. So that's another thing. Anyway, so this whole thing. So Shoresh, who is our uh, Shomer version of Groot, by the way, we do have a Groot. And um, I speak Groot because he speaks in binary numbers. And so he loves numbers and gematrias. And it's awesome. So I always ask him if he can run things through the Groot system whenever uh, I'm thinking about numbers or words or gematrias and stuff, which is what I did for Kevis. And he found that beautiful drop about the Scarlet Thread and the goat and Yom Kippur and all that. So anyway, so now we got the fact that the sin left the camp. So what does that mean for the people standing here with Mashiach and Pilate and all that, right? In the first century and the, and the gospel account here, it means that the people have cast off their sin onto the proverbial head of Yeshua bar Abba and now he is gone and now the people are left without their sin and now Mashiach Yeshua is about to be offered to bring the atonement which is the exact same thing that happens on Yom Kippur. So anyway, uh, I was just going to go into the rest of this commentary, but I feel like we don't need to do that now because I want to talk about other stuff. So that's the first thing. You got to be 33 in order to know stuff like that. And uh, welcome to 33, everyone. A yom yom who let it. A yom yom who let it. Right. OK. Second thing from Parsha Akare cited by Benny B is this whole thing about Yeshua the Nazarene check it out. This is super importante. So please listen up. Matthew chapter two, verses 22 through 23. Warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of the Galil, Galilee, and he came and lived in a city called Nazareth, which is very, very close to Nizevit. 
Okay, only few letters difference, but yeah, they're definitely related. Nazareth and Nedzevit. Nedzevit is the mother of David, by the way, who was considered to be a harlot because uh, Yishai, who is David's Abba, he uh, divorced her and sent her away and all this kind of stuff and was like, I'm not a legitimate Jew because I'm from Ruth and a Moabite can't enter the community and all this kind of stuff. And anyway, through a whole series of events, he ended up uh, being intimate with her on a what he thought was his wedding night with his new wife because he thought his new wife was not legitimate because he married a non-Jew and all this kind of stuff. But they switched places like, you know, Raquel and Leah and stuff. And then they had a child from that union, you know, Yishai and Nedzevit, and it ended up being David. And so Nedzevit was like walking around looking like with child and stuff. And then the parents were and everybody around the town and even Yishai himself was like, how dare you? really just go out and do that so she was considered exactly in the same light if you will of miriam the mother of mashiach because when miriam conceived through the ruach hakodesh so now you parallel that back to yishai who can be likened to a ruach hakodesh kind of person because uh yishai was considered to be so righteous that the only reason that he died was because of the original sin of the primordial serpent which is the eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil other than that, he was sinless, which is just a, obviously a dialed down form of one who is without sin. But it gives us a picture that a human person can exist who can be the father of Mashiach, who can be without sin. However, the Ruach HaKodesh obviously is outside of time, space and creation and all things. And so obviously that had no effect you know the the not the council of the serpent eating from the tree of knowledge of good or evil the selling of yosef or the golden calf like that doesn't affect the ruach kodesh because it's beyond that order of creation so there's all of that anyway so that's nedzevit neither here nor there but there all right so he goes to nazareth nazareth as we normally say in english but this is Yosef, by the way, with his family. Yosef is moving himself, Miriam, and his newborn, Mashiach Yeshua, and all that, right? So he's warned in a dream to withdraw into this region of the Galilee because Mashiach's going to be revealed from Galilee. Zohar drops that down. Other Midrashim drop that down. Kol Hatur. Yeah, anything you want. Vilna Gaon. I don't know what else you want. Okay, so anyway, all that. Because that's where Mashiach's got to come from. He's got to be revealed in the place where the exile began. Because the first exile that happened when we got into the land was Assyria and Babylon. Assyria came first, but it's not really considered an exile because we still had the temple. And Yehuda and Benjamin, their two tribes were still occupying Eretz Israel, namely the Temple Mount and Jerusalem. So there's all of that. But anyway, so the... Exile came from the north, which is in the upper Galilee area. So the redemption is going to come from the north because Hashem uses that which wounds. He also uses that to heal. Did I have that on a quick tab? Please tell me I got on a quick tab. Yes. No. Maybe so. Where would it go? Come on. We can do this. I took a picture of it. It was in, yes, Baruch Hashem, Shemot Rabbah 23.3. For with the very thing with which 
He wounds, he heals. Speaking of Hashem. Shemot Rabbah 23.3. Okay, so exile started in the north. Redemption is going to start in the north. Anyway, this is important. Okay, he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene, which is Notsri in Ivrit. So Yeshua Ha Notsri comes through the prophets. Okay, we know that Yeshua's got to be a Notsri from Nazareth through the prophets. But here's the thing here's what Benny B brings down. He says, this passage has puzzled many believers and fueled the anti-missionary arguments against the validity of the gospel of Matityahu. Matthew, ask an English-only believer to show you where, literally, ask an English-only believer. See, this is the problem. Swerve, of course. Talking to a co-worker of mine who I like to call Professor Shaul, a.k.a. Professor X, like Professor Xavier, he, Bezrat Hashem, upon his conversion, he will be a Avenger and he will, you know, I'm, I'm just speaking it out. Okay, prophesy. Okay, here we go. So when Hashem converts him and he comes in, he becomes a part of Sar Shalom, he becomes a Lapid, get you some. He takes upon his mantle as a Avenger, as Professor, uh, Professor Sheen, because Professor Shaul, Professor X, Okay, he was talking to me about a discussion he was in with various groups of people, some who believe in God and some who don't, which is kind of interesting since you're going to use that as your background to talk about something scripture related. Like literally, that's what this group is doing. But anyway, it's he asked me, he says, so when Cain and Abel happened, I was like, yeah, you're, that's good. Cain and Abel did happen. That's awesome. That is Cain and Hevel. That's their Hebrew names. Again, speaking to an English only believer, but that's cool. So he said, so when he went to the land of Node among those people, and I said, beep, beep, tag, stop, please. Let me stop you right there. And he goes, okay, what? And I go, well, here's the problem with Node. Node is not really a place. It's places. Because Node literally means wanderings. Like looking over here, looking over there, like i.e. exile. So he's just like going from place to place. Yes, he's building cities. Ask me how I know, because that's what the Midrash teaches. Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer is one of the main ones that talks about this time frame. And Cain uh, has children of his own who are having children of their own. So he's obviously building up quite the population, especially since it's just Adam and Hava now with Cain wondering about the, the world, you know, and uh, until they have Seth. It's only Cain and his people in the world and all sorts of demonic half-breed creatures going on because there's a whole spinoff that happened with other stuff going on. So anyway, I digress. So I was telling him that, you know, you have to understand that Node is not a place. And where did the people come from? It came from the fact that Cain, he built city after city. He named them after all of his sons, you know, which... They gave birth to sons and, and they're spread out from there. So you got this mass population coming from Cain's seed. Okay. 
And so the people of Node, that answers that question. But you have to know the Hebrew. You also have to know oral Torah in order to get where in the world did Node even come from? And what does that even have to do with the fact that, you know, Cain is, is going to this place and there's people already there? It's like, no, he brought the people there after he built a city, after city, after city, after city, and had a bunch of children. And they had a bunch of children. So anyway, back to this, though. So English only. It, it chops out a lot of stuff. So ask an English only believer to show you where the prophet, where the prophet said the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. I just want to I just want to check this out right now. Where does the prophet say that Yeshua will be a Nazarene? So let's see. Um, Nazarene. Let's just type that word in real quick in the good old Bible hub. So I'm looking in Bible hub for the word Nazarene. OK, that is N-A-Z-A-R-E-N-E. Okay, Nazarene, looking through all of the occurrences, we got Mark's, we got Matthew's, we got John's, we got Acts, we got Luke's, we got Luke's. We don't have any prophets. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is not good. Okay, so I played this out long enough. Here we go. Back on track. And you may be, you may be met with a blank stare. Okay, now we're all met with a blank stare because I searched it and I didn't see it. Okay, I typed in Nazarene. Obviously, if I type in notary, you know something's going to come up, but we're not going to do that. We're just going to just going to stay here. We're going to camp right here. You know, two step. Stay inside a little square. All right. Side step. None of this MC Hammer dancing, crazy spinning stuff. We'll just stay right here. Okay. Yes, I've seen the movie Hitch by Will, with Will Smith in there, and it's a funny movie. Okay, anyway, so, and you may be met with a blank stare, or perhaps 30 minutes of flipping pages, or 30 seconds of going through prep day here and looking through the files, and nothing comes up. That's a, the name of my suit AI, by the way, named by Rabbi Griffin. Uh, my suit is not called Jarvis, it's called Prep Day. So the more you know on that, I guess. Okay. Anyway, oftentimes the translation will put the will put the phrase "He shall be called a Nazarene" in quotes. Oh my goodness, that's normally put in quotes. That's like a parenthetical statement, except without the parentheticalness. But now it's a quotethetical, quotethetical statement. Wow. And then he goes on to say, as if it were referencing a specific prophecy in the Tanakh. So it's like, this is in the Tanakh. This is in the Tanakh. Trust me, he should be called a Nazarene. And this is like, first of all, the Tanakh doesn't even mention Mashiach. Like, forget about it. It doesn't even say Messiah. The only the word for Messiah that appears in the Tanakh, this is, by the way, newsflash in case we didn't know, is for putting the oil on the head of Aharon as Kohen Gadol. That's your first appearance of Mashiach. So yeah, it has to do with the anointing oil that's placed upon the head of the high priest. It's in the form of a Greek letter, and it's usually what's used. That same oil is normally used to anoint kings. So Mashiach speaks of king and a priesthood who is anointed. A king and a priest who is anointed, literally a high priest 
who is a king who's anointed. Okay, so just know that, believe that, trust that. Okay, so anyway, so there's that. So now it says, however, this is a perfect example to illustrate that one must have some type of grasp on the Hebrew language to understand the Brit Hadashah. You got to have a grasp on the Hebrew language to understand the Gospels, Acts, the letters, and Revelation. And yes, that is the Brit Hadashah. The Gospels, Acts, the letters, and Revelation. Okay, because I mean, that's what it is. It's letters. Uh, I did a preface to this on my Garrett to the Roman series. I highly encourage you to please check that out. I literally dug into factual Encyclopedia Britannica's and get you some of historical accounts of canons, you know, i.e. passages of scripture that are deemed uh, holy and something that we should follow and read. However, Anything beyond the Tanakh was not set in place by Yehudim. So there's that. Not saying that they're not important, but we know that as Rabbi Griffin is so beautifully elucidating for us, when the things of the gospel were happening, it was not written down. When the things in Acts were happening, it was not written down. So everything was oral until at least around the late first century. So what are you going to do for people who followed Yeshua and who believed in him even after he resurrected and before Shaul was done killing those believers and before the temple was destroyed? What what is what's a believer going to do? I love Hashem. I love Mashiach. What do I do? It's like, oh, yeah, follow Torah, come to the temple as much as you can, dive in these uh, prayer services and study the Torah portions and come to synagogue every Shabbat. So that means you'll be lighting candles for Arab Shabbat. That means you'll be eating kosher. Uh, you're working your way into that if you weren't Jewish before and now you are because you're abstaining from meat. You're abstaining from sexual immorality and you're, I mean, not abstaining from meat, abstaining from blood, slika, and blood uh, via the meat that's strangled. Um, because if you un improperly slaughter an animal to eat its meat that's called eating meat strangled so you're not supposed to do that so any meat that's not kosher you're not eating and any blood you're not eating sexual immorality you're not doing and idolatry you are far from you're starting there and you're going to shul so you're obviously learning about other mitzvot because it's like about 613 or something of them so there's that so that's super important to understand with the light of everything that's going on. There was there's oral Torah. Just know that there's written and there's oral. And if you don't have the oral and if you don't have the written, it's going to be really hard. But if you don't have the oral Torah, you're also going to be lacking when it comes to understanding the Gospels, Acts, the letters and Revelation. Anyway, the current canon we have was set in place around the uh, the Middle Ages or Dark Century or whatever you, medieval times, I guess you want to call it. Uh, because before that, there were at least three or four, if not more, different canons. Uh, the Didache or the Didache, as some people like to say, the Revelation of Kepha, uh, Clements, you know, things like that. Those are other, yeah, Barnabas uh, and all, all sorts of stuff. It's all out there. But we landed on what we have today in our current canon of, of what's 
Matthew through Revelation. So, anyway. So now, he's saying that if you don't have some type of grasp of the Hebrew language, i.e. Torah, Judaism, or Torah, written Torah, notice how the gospel doesn't identify a prophet, but rather says prophets. Wow. Might be fulfilled that which is spoken through the prophets. Okay. So then it says this indicates that the connection to the word Nazarene is found in at least two places in the Tanakh. Okay. The most famous connection is found in Yeshiyahu 11. Of course, Yeshiyahu would be the one. Because, by the way, you have to know this. Yeshiyahu is called the king's Navi. Okay, he literally, he prophesied to the king. So, there is that. So, obviously, he he should have been on this list. But, just because he's the king's prophet, he didn't have to be. We could have had Amos or something. Amos or Haggai. Or Ovadia, you know, he was, you know, legit. Anyway. Uh, so, and Yeshiyahu 11, where is Notsri? Well, and I can tell you what, the, the beautiful book that I continue to have in my possession with the help and the gratitude that I give to Hashem is what the rabbis know about Messiah. And they also second this drop that's about to happen. It says, a shoot will come out of the stock, which, by the way, a shoot, a zamach, a branch, okay, if you will. And what do we say in our Shimone Esrei Matzmiak carrying Yeshua may cause Yeshua to sprout, right? Okay, okay, yeah. Anyway, the Davidic rain prayer. All right, so uh, he says a shoot will come out of the stock of Yeshai, of Jesse, and a branch, Netzer. So we're going to have a Zamak and a Nedzer come out of one place. We're going to have two Mashiachs come out of one place. Then it says, out of his roots will bear fruit. And a branch out of his roots will bear fruit. So a shoot will come out of the stock of Yeshai, and a branch, which is Netzer, shall come or out of his roots and will bear fruit. That's Yeshiyahu 11.1. Okay, so the word branch is Netzer. Here is universally recognized in Judaism as a reference to Mashiach. Okay, so there you go. Where, where does the prophets teach about Mashiach? Uh, well, you have to know Hebrew and you have to know rabbinic commentary. And it says Yeshiyahu 11.1 for the word Netzer. And if you catch Hasis somehow, because he flies very fast, he also has a book about the different names of Mashiach, and Netzer is definitely in there. And if it's not, we're going to write it in there. I'm just kidding. We're not going to write it in there, but it's in there. I just I just feel it. Just believe with my jazz hands, I believe. Okay, anyway. says, the letters that form the word Netzer, Nun, Zadi, Resh. Nun Sari Resh. They have a special place in the Shalosh Ezrei Midot Harachamim. 
Oh, you mean the thing from Parshaki Tisa that Captain Israel just threw down like something just ain't right with him? Like on the Aliyah 5 of Pesach week? Yeah, so yesterday, according to this podcast. Anyway, yeah, if you hadn't heard those 13 principles elucidated, then you ain't heard them until you check that out. So I guess listen to 5 and 6 and you'll turn up to 11. <laughs> five plus six is eleven. Okay, that's funny. Okay. Anyway, to be serious, so the shalosh esrei midot arakamim, the thirteen midot, the thirteen attributes of mercy, from Shemot thirty-four, and obviously we know all those Hashem descended in a cloud, which, by the way, is Hashem making Himself manifest according to the Keherd Humash and the Midrash Tankuma. And it says, and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Hashem. And this happened during the renewal of the covenant, by the way. So Hashem manifests with the renewal of the covenant. Oh, I can't remember where that happened. But anyway, um, proclaimed the name of Hashem. Hashem passed before him and proclaimed. Here come the 13. Ready? Hashem, one. Hashem, two. A merciful, three. And gracious, four. God, five, slow to anger, six, abundant in loving kindness, seven, and truth, eight, keeping love, nine, kindness for thousands, and ten, forgiving, iniquity, eleven, disobedience, and sin, twelve, and that will by no means clear the guilty, thirteen, Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children on the third and fourth generation. There you go. So there's all your 13 attributes elucidated right there. So one of those words in there has the word notary in it or netzer. Which word is it? I'm so glad you asked. It is... Keeping kindness unto thousands. The letter noon in this word for keeping kindness, which is the word notzer. So notzer chesed la la alafim. Okay, notzer chesed la alafim. All right, it says the notes are, the noon in the word notes are here for keeping is said or which is guarding by the way so the nets are is a guard and by the way nets are spelled backward is razon razon means the will or the desire so hashem desires through mashiach to keep us in his chesed because mashiach is abounding in chesed ve'emet and you know the torah came through moshe and chesed ve'emet came through mashiach so put those together because moshe and mashiach are like mirrors of each other. Moshe is considered to be the mem, the open mem. Mashiach is considered to be the mem sofit. So in order to spell the word mem, you have to have the two mems together. It's mem, mem sofit. That's how you spell mem. So if you don't have Mashiach, then you don't have Moshe. If you don't have Moshe, you don't have Mashiach. Yeah, I know. That's crazy, but here we go. So anyway, Radzon, Netzer, okay. Keeping kindness. So the Hebrew of this passage, back to Benny B, shows an unusually large letter, the letter noon, 
which begins the chain of the word Notzer. The words are Notzer Chesed Le'alafim. We may draw a connection between the Notzer and the Netzer of Yeshayahu 11. So put 34, um, or Shemot 34, 5 through 7 with Yeshayahu 11, 1, and there's your Mashiach sandwich. There's your Korek, okay? And that is Korek. All right, anyway, correct uh, Pesach jokes. All right, so as the words are spelled exactly the same, and this is what Mashiach secures for Yisrael and the world. Okay, Yisrael and the world. In another passage, Mashiach is spoken of as branch by using the word Zemach, which is the other word from Yeshayahu 11.1, by the way. And this Zamach is found in Zachariah or Zachariah, the remembering of Hashem. That's what that means. Or the man of Hashem, because Zachar also means man. So the man of Hashem, uh, he brings down that in that passage. talks about, behold, the man whose name is the branch. He shall grow up out of his place. He shall build a temple of Hashem, even shall build a temple of Hashem and bear the glory of and shall sit and rule upon his throne. He shall be a Cohen on his throne. Really? He shall be a king and a priest sitting on the throne? Like Melchizedek or something? And the council of Shalom shall be between them both. Okay. So the Targum elucidates this. Behold, a man whose name is Mashiach shall be revealed in the future. And he shall become great and build the temple of Hashem. Targum Yonatan. Drops that down, same passage. Says the man's name is Mashiach. Thus let us plug the word Mashiach in for branch, as the Targum does. Behold the man whose name is branch. Plug it in. Behold the man whose name is Mashiach. Okay, so that's what we have to look forward to for Parsha Achare Mot. Uh, after the death of Aharon's two sons. So it has been over an hour and I haven't even touched on the seventh day of Pesach. So, just keeping with the flow of things, why not just continue to not touch on the seventh day of Pesach, shall we? Okay, so, in the Aliyah 5 of Pesach, um, Rebbe Griffin was talking about the pterodactyls, right? And the pterodactyls are found in Jewish sources. So, here's what I sent him uh, that he did not, he was not able to read. So, I'm going to read it out now. So, first of all, this starts out, it's also in Josephus. We have a screenshot of the uh, the ebook of Josephus because we have the physical book, but digging that out and going to find it, uh, obviously you can easily search through an ebook via the search button. So there's that. But it truly is in the writings of Josephus about Moshe and Ethiopia, because Moshe was king of Ethiopia, by the way. So Melek. Uh, of Ethiopia, however you say Ethiopian. Uh, but anyway, he was the Melech of there. And uh, Legends of the Jews also uh, points and shines light on this. It's important to note that in Legends of the Jews, they're called storks. But I'm just going to put it out there that what these storks had to do, a normal stork would not be able to do. It needed to be a historic stork. Okay, a historic stork, you know, like a pterodactyl. That was a stretch, man. 
got to expand my wingspan. But anyway, so in order to get there to this picture, so the storks who are going to take out the serpents and give Ethiopia the advantage to go take over the people who've been ruling over them so that they can gain their freedom. What is it about Moshe and being a part of nations that need to gain their freedom? I mean, what in the world? Seriously? Because Ethiopia was, um, they were ruled by what's called the nations of the East. So like all the different uh, people who were inhabiting this uh, Saudi Arabia peninsula type thing over here, they were in charge and ruling over Ethiopia. And it's just like, how are you going to rule Ethiopia way over in Africa when you way over in Saudi Arabia? Who do you think you is? King Alexander or something? But anyway, so Moshe, when he flees from Egypt, he ends up going to Ethiopia and they're like, please help us, save us. And he's like, OK, fine, go get those big birds and um, let's go take them out. So. In order to read this account, I'm going to go back to the well. Sleeka. <clears throat> wow. Um. You know that thing where you fly and like a bug gets in your eye or something? Yeah, it just happened to me. Gotta work on my shield system. Okay, but anyway. See if I can pull through this. Alright, Brookshim. <sighs> nature. Gotta love it. Even though I'm not in nature right now, but that's beside the point. So in order to talk about this whole thing, how did Moshe get to Ethiopia? I'm glad you asked. Remember that one time he killed that Egyptian and he hit his body in the sand? And then later on, hang on one second. Okay, all is well. Baruch Hashem. For your patience. Okay, so anyway, this one time Moshe hit an Egyptian in the sand. Didn't think anybody saw him. Because he looked both ways, but he forgot to look the third way. Because these two goons, like the Balkan Skull against the Power Rangers kind of people. Uh, this was Dathan and Abiram. And they were from the tribe of Reuben. Okay, and uh, they completely were like getting into a fight one day. And then Moshe was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Y'all stop that. Cut that out. And they were like, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian and hide his body in the sand? You're going to hide us in the sand too? You're just going to turn back the sands of time and do the same thing you did to him, Mr. Sandman? You're going to bring us a dream? And Moshe is like, oh, snap. These people know what they're doing. Like, they saw me. They're going to go and they're going to turn me in to the authorities. And this is not good. Okay, so anyway, here we go. Picking up in Legends of the Jews. And uh, let's see. Go ahead and go through my Rolodex here. This comes from, this picks up anyway, around uh, Legends of the Jews, according to Safaria, to uh, Legends of the Jews 2, uh, section 4, verse 98. Okay, so... I have the uh, the actual book from Ginsburg, the ebook anyway, and this is what I'm reading from. So it's in the section about fleeing from Egypt. All right. So 
Picking up with this in the middle of this quarrel, it says that the day after the thing with the Egyptians had happened, the two brothers began of malice of forethought to scuffle with each other. Talking about Dathan and Abiram, they're setting Moshe up. They're just going to make a fake fight. Which, by the way, this makes me think about people who are just constant drama in your lives. They're faking it. They really are. Because, first of all, in order for you to be in a state of constant drama, you have to deny reality. And when you deny reality, you put yourself on a crazy train. And when you put yourself on a crazy train, you do this thing called insanity, which is doing the same thing but expecting different results. Dathan and Abiram, big picture of that. Hashem says do this, they do something in a form of disobedience and cause a bunch of problems. And the whole time they're just like, <laughs> we didn't mean to do that, but we did it anyway. We don't know why we did it, but we did it. Like Hashem said, don't store the manna overnight. Why did Hashem say that? Because Dathan and Abiram stored the manna overnight and all sorts of grotesque things came out of their tent and got into the camp. So there's that. Sleek So anyway, they have a long history of this and it all starts in Egypt. It all started in the exile. So they're just making up this plan. They're going to fight. So they said only in order to draw Moshe into the quarrel and create an occasion for his betrayal. So now they're trying to find an occasion to betray the Redeemer. I don't know where I've seen that before. But anyway, the plan succeeded admirably. Also, don't know where I seen that before, because when Mashiach was betrayed, I think it worked out pretty well because it happened and. There was no one around to stop it. Kepha was there. He was slicing ears off, but the hearing is still out on that one. Okay. Anyway, it says um, the plan succeeded admirably. Seeing Dathan raise his hand against Abiram to deal him a blow, Moshe exclaimed, "Oh, thou art a villain to lift up thy hand against an Israelite, even if he is no better than you." Oh snap. He just basically said, what in the world are you doing? You think you think you can just go around pretending like you're going to hit people like you better not hit them. Dathan replied, young man, who hath made you to be judge over us? You have you not yet attained the years of maturity? Are you not yet 50? Uh, that's a parenthetical statement. I just put that in there, you know, because they said that to Mashiach. They might as well have said that to Moshe. Anyway, back to the story. Um, we know very well that you are the son of Yahaved. Okay, you're you're her son, like this whole famous woman, right? The people call you the son of the princess Batia, because you you know we know you're from the household of Pharaoh. So like, okay, and if you should attempt. To play the part of our master and judge, we will publish abroad the thing that you did unto the Egyptian. We're going to put it on Facebook. We're going to put it on Twitter and we're going to put it on Google News. OK, because we know what you did. You think you're ruler over us? I'll show you ruling. Right. OK, this is Dathan and Aviron, fake drama people here. And they apparently did not save it for their mama. OK, but anyway, it says, um. Or, per adventure, you harbor the intention to slay us like you did slay him. 
by pronouncing the name of God? Is that what you're going to do? Not satisfied with these taunts, the noble pair of brothers betook themselves to Paro and spoke before him. Moshe dishonors your royal mantle, your crown. To which Pharaoh returned saying, much good may it do to him. But, okay, so like Pontius Pilate, it was like, Psh, I find no fault with this man. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything that happened to Mashiach, I mean, it's happening to Moshe right here. So anyway, it says, but they pursued the subject. The people were like, no, but you need to crucify him. He said, Caesar is not his king. And Pontius is like, okay, well, I was done. I was pulling my punches, but now I'm going to have to push my punches because Caesar, you can't just say that you're going to take his throne. Like, that's not that. That's right there. That's treason. And I'm going to have to kill you. And while he's like trying to figure out what he's going to do about that, people are like, crucify him, crucify him. So check this out. Back to Moshe. It says, he helps your enemies. Oh, Paro. They continued, whereupon he replied, as before, much good do, much good may it do him. They still went on. He is not the son of your daughter. These last words did not fail of making an impression upon Pyro. A royal command was issued for the arrest of Moshe, and he was condemned to death by the sword. Okay. So when he was considered not to be the son of Batya, then that's a problem. So there's all sorts of stuff right there. It says the angels came to God and said, Moshe, the familiar of your house, the i.e. the most trusted of his household. I believe we read that in the Siddur during the morning blessings. Oh, wow. It's in legends. Okay. It's in legends of the Jews right here, right here, right here. The angels came to God and said, Moshe, the most familiar of your house is held under restraint. And God replied, I will espouse his cause. But the angels urged his verdict of death has been pronounced. Yes, they are leading him to execution. So he's carrying his stake right now. He's going up to the to the crucifixion site. Yes, they are leading him to execution. And again, God may reply as before, I will espouse his cause. It's okay. So they're leading him to execution. Uh, I'm going to take care of it. So now it says Moshe mounted the scaffold and a sword sharp beyond compare, you know, like the, the Shakita blade, which is the blade that's used for kosher slaughtering. That blade is so sharp. My goodness. The blade is the same sharpness that was used at the Akira for Yitzhak. Abraham was checking the blade to make sure it was sharp. There's a technique you use with the back of your thumbnail. Anyway, so same thing here. The, the sword is very sharp. So it says that it was set upon his neck ten times, but it always slipped away. So in other words, this super sharp knife is coming down on the neck of Moshe. One time. Nope, didn't work. Two times. Nope, didn't work. All the way to 10. Every single time he drops this knife down, it it doesn't cut and it falls like it slides off like his head. It's just like, will you quit hitting me over the back of the head with the bat, please? It's like, no, this is a knife. I'm an executioner and I'm trying to kill you, sir. 
Please stay still. Anyway, it says, but it always slipped away because his neck was as hard as ivory. Okay, so, yeah, Moshe's neck turned into ivory. I can't remember exactly where I've seen that before. Oh, wait, like Yaakov when Asaph came to kiss him. But really, it says by some commentaries that Yaakov came to bite him, but yet his teeth were not able to penetrate the neck of Yaakov. Anyway, that's Parsha Vayishlach. So anyway, go back there and check that Midrash out. It's really cool. So now his neck was hard as ivory. Still and still a greater miracle came to pass. God sent down the angel Mikael, the great angel Mikael, in the guise of a hangman. Okay? Because, you know, the hangman is the one who's slicing the neck of Moshe right now, right? So now Shem sends down Mikael, and he's going to be a hangman. Okay? And it says, And the hangman charged by Paro with the execution was changed into the form of Moshe. So now we got some changes going on. So the hangman comes down, which is Mikael, and then Moshe's image transfers to the, the current guy who's dropping the sword now right so he's sitting there can't cut moshe's neck so shem sends in mikael the hangman that uh is doing the sword chopping now mikael has taken his form moshe has now taken the form of the one who's chopping so now with that being said if that isn't confusing enough and it says this the spur this spurious moshe the angel killed with the very sword with which the executioner had purposed to slay. Okay, so the spurious Moshe, the angel, killed with the very sword with which the executioner had purposed to slay the intended victim. Meantime, Moshe took flight. Okay, so Moshe is seen as an executioner, but then there's another executioner, and the executioner, who's in the who's Mikael, by the way, in the form of executioner, slays the current executioner, who looks like Moshe, so that it looks like Moshe actually died, but it's it's just his image, and then Moshe, who's actually Offered on the on the stake here. Oh wow, Freudian slip much. Okay. He's offered here where he has his head and the sword's been coming down. So now Moshe, because of all the image swapping that is going on, now he can make his exit. He can make his getaway because now it looks like Moshe and the executioner are in their little thing and the executioner did kill Moshe, which meant Mikael killed the original executioner while Moshe got away. Okay, I know that's kind of crazy. Hopefully you followed it. But yeah, okay, so image swapping totally happened. So you know how uh, this is so cool. Uh, Captain Marvel just came out and there's the whole thing with the scrolls, right? The scrolls can take on any form. They're shapeshifters, right? So the thing is, is Mikael started being a scroll when he came down because he took the form of the hangman. And then the hangman was able to take the form of Moshe, and so now, even though the hangman has the sword in his hand, he looks like Moshe, and then Mikael looks like the hangman. So 
Mikael now can slay, quote-unquote, Moshe because the hangman is Moshe. So he slays the hangman, which looks like Moshe. And the real Moshe stands up, and then he runs away. All right. So anyway, I just wanted to bring that down because that's how Moshe left Mitzrayim. Miraculously, looks like he died and all this kind of stuff, right? But he came back, just like Mashiach. Looks like he died. It was miraculous, but he came back. He was literally resurrected in less than three days because 16th of Nisan was his resurrection day. And, um, you know, he showed himself to everyone for 40 days. Be like, just in case y'all didn't think. It's now day 40, and I'm still here. I'm still eating. Well, it's time for me to go now, but I've been with you, and I will be with you until the end of the age. So go out and make those Talmudim, and I'll be right back. And that was two days ago, because, you know, a day is a thousand years with Hashem. So anyway, may another day not pass before we see Mashiach. Okay, no more than two days does he allow his righteous ones to suffer. And that is all of Israel, because all of us, as Kol Echad, we are considered righteous because Kol Echad, we're called Mashiach. Because Mashiach is one body of many members. Come on. Alright, so anyway. So with all that being said, he gets away and all that kind of stuff. And so now we go to Ethiopia. So, when he succeeded in effecting his escape from the hands of the hangman, Moshe had no idea that a royal throne awaited him. Kind of like Mashiach, when he ascended after all of the resurrection and the death and all that kind of stuff, he goes up and it's like, sit here at my right hand while I make your enemies a footstool. So, yeah. So Moshe is going to go and he's going to say, you go to a royal throne. Okay, so it says, a war broke out at this time. Literally at this time is when a war broke out. It's like, great. Now that we have someone who's available, now let's go ahead and start the war so that this person who just so happens to be available can help us do what needs to get done. So it says a war broke out this time between Ethiopia and the nations of the east that have been that it had been subject to until then. Okay? So Ethiopia was in subject to the nations of the east until Moshe showed up. And then it says Kikanos, which is funny because instead of Kik, it could be Thanos, but it's Kikanos. Anyway, so Kikanos, the king, king of Ethiopia, advanced against the enemy with a great army. He left Balaam and Balaam's two sons, Janus and Jambres. By the way, you can find those uh, interesting gentlemen in Second Timothy. And the writings of 2 Timothy. Anyway, continuing on. So, Kikanos, the king, advanced against the enemy with a great army. He left Belam and his two sons, Belam's two sons, Janus and Jambres, behind to, to keep guard over his capital and take charge of the people remaining at home. Okay, so, Kikanos apparently is uh, the king of the nations of the east who are keeping Ethiopia in bondage, okay? So, he leaves Belam in charge with his two sons. Which, by the way, leaving Belam in charge of something, when you're not there, without supervision, it's not a good idea. Here's why. 
The absence of the king gave Balaam the opportunity of winning his subjects. So Balaam now seizes as an opportunity to steal the kingdom. He's like, great, the king is gone. I'm going to take his people. All right, here we go. So he wins the subjects over to his side. He was put up on the throne and his two sons were set over the army as generals. To cut Kikanos off from his capital, Balaam and his sons invested the city so that none could enter it against their will. I.e., unless we say so, y'all ain't getting in. Thank you. Bye, Felicia. And it says, on two sides, they made the walls higher, like fortified to the heavens, like we find cities in Eretz Israel when we finally start going into the land, i.e. Parsha Shalak, uh, where the people are like, yeah, the walls are fortified to the heavens and there's giants in the land. What are we going to do? It's like, oh, Balaam must have been there. Anyway, it says, so they made the walls high on two sides. On the third side, they dug a network of canals in which they conducted the waters of the river, girding the whole land of Ethiopia. I.e., they made a moat. <laughs> okay. Probably put some crocodiles in there. Okay, so very kingly, okay? So you got two high walls, you got a moat on one side. What's on the fourth side? Let's go ahead and open up door number four. It says, uh, on the fourth side, their magic arts collected a large swarm of snakes and scorpions. Thus, no, thus none could depart and none could enter. Meantime, Kikanos succeeded in subjugating the rebellious nations. When he returned at the head of his victorious army and spied the high wall or the high city wall from afar, he and his men said, the inhabitants of the city, seeing that the war, or he said, the inhabitants of the city, seeing that the war detained us abroad for a long time, have raised the walls and fortified them. The kings of Canaan may not be able to enter. On approaching the city gates, which was barred, man, Belum be locking stuff up, says they cried out to the guards to open them, but by Belum's instructions, they were not permitted to pass, i.e. they said, none shall pass. Shout out to the Monty Python, Holy Grail watchers. You know what that's all about. Anyway, not that you need to go watch that movie. But uh, none shall pass. And it says a skirmish ensued in which Kikanos lost 130 men. On the morrow, the combat was continued. The king with his troops being stationed on the other bank of the river. This day, he lost his 30 riders who mounted on their steeds and attempted to swim the stream. Then the kings ordered, then the king, Kikanos, ordered rafts to be constructed for transporting of his men. When the vessels reached the canals, they were submerged and the waters swirling around and around as though driven by mill wheels swept away 200 men, 20 from each raft. Wow. 
On the third day, so we got a three-day war going on, they set about assaulting the city from the side on which the snakes and scorpions swarmed. But they failed to reach it, and the reptiles killed 170 men. The king desisted from attacking the city, but for the space of nine years, he surrounded it so that none could come out or go in. While the siege was in process, Moshe appeared in the king's camp on his fight or on his flight before Paro. So as he's running from Paro, he comes up on Kikanos here. So he's not even Kikanos is not even the king of Ethiopia. I thought he was, but he's not. He's apparently just disenfranchised from his city. So that's interesting. Uh, so it says, so he appeared in the king's camp here, and it says, at once found favor with Kikanos and his whole army. He exercised an attraction upon all that saw him. Okay, so he exercised an attraction upon all that saw him, for he was slender like a palm tree, his countenance shone as the morning sun, and his strength was equal to a lion's. Important to note, Moshe was given the strength of an angel when we go back to our burning bush uh, incident, which obviously is stronger than a lion, but I digress. So at the burning bush, Moshe gets a superpower upgrade. So then it says, so deep was the king's affection for him that he appointed him to be commander in chief of his forces. At the end of the nine years, Kikanos fell a prey to a mortal disease, and he died on the seventh day of his illness. His servants embalmed him, buried him opposite the city gate towards the land of Mitzrayim, and over his grave erected a magnificent structure, strong and high. Upon the walls thereof they engraved all the mighty deeds and battles of the dead king. Oh, how... How fun. How fortunate. Okay, so anyway, now, after the death of, T of Kikanos, his men were greatly grieved on account of the war. One said unto the other, Counsel us, what shall we do at this time? We have been abiding in the wilderness, away from our homes, for nine years. If we fight against the city, many of us will fall dead, and if we remain here besieging it, we shall also die. So we're either going to die or we're going to die. So what are we going to do? For now, the princes of Aram and the children of the east will hear that our king is dead and they will attack us suddenly and they will fight with us until not a remnant will be left. Now, therefore, let us go and set a king over us and we will remain here besieging the city until it surrenders unto us. They could not find or they they could find none except Moshe fit to be their king. They hastened and stripped off each man his upper garment and cast them all in a heap up on the ground, making a high place on top of which they sat Moshe. They made a throne out of their clothes, y'all. Come on, man. Wow. Well, this is this is a picture of Hashem is enthroned upon the praises of Israel because with our garments, our prayers, we make a throne for Hashem. So anyway, the nations understand that apparently. So they take off their upper garments and they make a heap and they put Moshe up there. It says, then they blew with trumpets and called out before him, long live the king, long live the king. 
And all the peoples and the nobles swore unto him to give him Adonia for a wife, the Ethiopian queen, the widow of Kikanos. They made Moshe king over them on that day. They also issued a proclamation commanding every man to give Moshe of what he possessed. And upon the high place, they spread a sheet wherein each one cast something this one a gold nose ring, that one a coin, and onyx stones, and bdellium pearls, or pearls, so bdellium is one thing, pearls, gold, and silver, and great abundance. Moshe was 27 years old when he became king over Ethiopia. He reigned for 40 years. On the seventh day of his reign, on the seventh day of his reign, the people assembled and came before him to ask his counsel as to what was to be done to the city they were besieging. The king answered them and said, If you will hearken to my words, the city will be delivered into our hands. Okay, so at the words of Moshe, like, whatever he speaks is going to come forth. Okay, wow. So... He says, just do what I say. It's all going to happen. All right. So proclaim with a loud voice throughout the whole camp unto all the people saying, thus said the king, go to the forest, fetch hither the young of the stork, each man, one fledgling in his hand. These storks are so big that it's going to take one adult grown man just to take the baby. Okay, so this is a baby pterodactyl, okay, if we will. It's a baby big bird, if, uh, at least, all right? So each man is going to have their own big bird, which is a little bird. So each man will have their own little big bird. And then it says, if there be any man that transgresses the word of the king, not to bring a bird, he shall die. And the king shall take all belonging to him. And when you have brought them, they shall be in your keeping. You shall rear them until they grow up and teach them to fly as the hawk flies. Okay? So you got to teach these birds how to fly. That's funny. Because they're not normal birds. That's why. It says, All the people did according to the word of Moshe, and after the young storks, or big bird pterodactyls, had grown up to full size, he ordered them to be starved for three days. Oh, snap. On the third day, the king said unto them, Let every man put on his armor and gird his sword upon him. Each one shall mount his horse, and each shall set his stork upon his hand. And we will raise, or, and we will raise up and fight against the city opposite the place of the serpents. So we're going to go up the serpent side. Okay. It says, when they came to the appointed spot, the king said, let each man send forth his young stork to descend upon the serpents. By the way, these are the fiery serpents that we faced in the wilderness. These are also the serpents that appeared in the courtyard or the palace of Paro when Moshe and Aharon came with their staff and they threw their staff down and became a serpent. Belam, Janus, and Jambres also come in, throw down their staff, and make serpents. And then Aharon, or 
Yeah, it's Moshe's staff turns back into, or Aharon's staff, Slika. I always get him confused. Aharon's staff turns back into a staff and devours their serpents. So yeah, so these are the kind of serpents we're talking about. This is, these are not normal. Which, by the way, they're called uh, Tanim, which is not Nechash, which is like something interesting because Tanim is also used for like dragon or crocodile. So whatever it is, it's like a, a big snake that you don't want none of. I guess it would be close to Anaconda, like the movie Anaconda that made real Anacondas look like not really anything violent. Anyway, enough movie references. One more 80s pop culture reference out of you young man and it's it pat it okay anyway of course i gotta quote the avengers sometimes right i am iron man so it says um so let us send forth the young sword to send upon the serpents thus they did and the birds swooped down and devoured all literally all i'm just telling you a little bird eating a big serpent just think about that so it's a big bird. It's probably a pterodactyl. Anyway, it's a bird and it ate the serpents, like all of them. It says, after the serpents were removed in this way, the men fought against the city and subdued it and killed all the inhabitants. But the peep, but of the people besieging it, nobody died. How about that? Because you got to think, what about the scorpions? Well, trampling on snakes and scorpions. That just happened. Through the birds and through the word of the king. Okay. So Mashiach and the Torah. Because the birds uh, are alluding to Mashiach. Which Mashiach is likened to a bird. And then obviously the spirit of Hashem is going to give us the ability to trample snakes and scorpions. So that's the word of the king. So there you go. Mashiach and the word of the king. Mashiach and the Torah will cause you to trample snakes and scorpions and defeat your enemies and get into uh, cities that are otherwise locked down. I.e. you get into all aspects of your being that has been currently locked down because your animal soul has been in control in lots of different areas. You're fighting against anger. You're fighting against lust and you're fighting against depressions. You're fighting against addictions and all sorts of, uh, traumatizing past and abuse. But yet through the word of the King and through the Mashiach, you will triumph and overcome. So the last little statement or last little part here says when Balaam saw that the city had fallen into the hands of the besiegers, he exercised his magic arts, which enabled him to fly through the air, and he carried with him his two sons, Janus and Jambres, and his eight brothers. So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You got 11 people all up in the air right now. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Oh, this is where the invisible jet comes from. Okay. Thank you. I'm so glad that got cleared up. I was wondering how Wonder Woman and the Invisible Jet fit into Midrash. Because I knew it had to. It says they all took refuge in Mitzrayim. So hence, when Moshe goes back to Egypt, he encounters the serpents and he encounters Balaam. It's just like, oh, we've done this before. Oh. And he's just, Moshe's like, listen, we got to quit meeting like this. So anyway. So there is that. All right. So 
to finish up on the seventh day of Pesach, now that we can finally talk about that, Akaron Shel Pesach, seventh day of Pesach, this is the day when we go through the, the Yom Suf. So, as we um, approach this Moed, I just want to encourage us to, to really just take a hold of and take advantage of Hashem, you know, and take advantage of all the elevations that are happening spiritually for us. You know, uh, namely, we have the meal of Mashiach that's also going to happen. So I want to read this drop to you from um, Rabbi Trugman about the meal of Mashiach. He says, the Baal Shem Tov began the custom of gathering people together on the last day of Pesach for one last meal at the time when the holiday is coming to an end. Pesach is infused with hope and emunah and the ultimate redemption. Okay, by the way, that, that right there is our superpower. We got to have hope and emunah in the future redemption. Uh, I was going to talk about how to uh, to bring more manifestation of that hope and that emunah and the redemption from Pincus Winston. So I'll just summarize it. Basically through our Torah, our Avodah, and our Chesed. Learning it, studying it, doing it, sharing it, teaching it, being it seeing it, thinking about it, having it in your heart, crying out to Hashem, put it in your heart, grafting yourself into it, attaching yourself to it. You cause the divine light that is outside of creation to come into creation. And the more you refine yourself through these things, you bring more and more of a manifestation of it. So you literally can, and we literally will, because we will, with Hashem's help, we will bring the Geula through more and more Torah Avodah Chesed and through this hope and this Amuna that we're getting like supercharged into us right now. Again, I said the Seder that we partook of through the Kabbalistic understanding, these are the roots of this power source. So we have the core within us. Now we just got to let it out. So that's how we do it. Torah Avodah Chesed. And that's called uh, energy and that's called the light, which is the light of Hashem. It's just, it's a really fancy word for just light of Hashem. I know, it, ooh, energy, but it's like, yes, everything about us is energy. You know, we're atoms and particles and dimensions and all sorts of stuff. We exist in 10 different dimensions. We don't, we don't even know all of them, but we know a few of them. And so everything that we uh, are living in, we have full advantage of. Again, I say we have access to it. But it's just we got to figure out the way to get there. And it's only through Mashiach that we get there. So back to this. Rabbi Trugman, he says, the ultimate redemption of the Jewish people and the entire world. Ultimately, Mashiach is for the entire world because he was brought forth before the world to rule over the world and to bring the world to service of Hashem. Some of them... Some of the world will choose to do that through Torah and some of the world will choose to do that not through Torah. And then there's going to be a rectification process for that, obviously. But this whole Jews and Gentiles wanting Messiah, that's not true. It's like only the Jews. But Mashiach is going to go out to the nations, which is what's happening now. And the nations are supposed to not remain as nations. They're supposed to convert. And... This is why the conversion thing is a problem if we don't just understand what is conversion truly. It's the same thing that Israel did at Mount Sinai. It's the same thing we do through the words of Mashiach. And by the way, according to Jewish Halakha, 
if a potential convert understands that them being converted to Judaism means that they understand that they're taking up on a yoke of shame. They're taking up on a yoke of hatred. They're taking up on a yoke of persecution. They're automatically accepted. No questions asked. And I distinctly remember Mashiach saying they're going to hate you because of me like the world is. So therefore, anyone who is attached to Mashiach obviously hits that halakha, which means you're converted, no questions asked. At least you should be. But anyway, so it's for the Jewish people in the whole world, the, as the holiday ends, he wanted to focus on the longing one last time in a community atmosphere. The last meal is called Mashiach Seuda i.e. the meal of Mashiach, where we eat matzah, we drink wine at the Seder, and we express our deepest and holiest visions for the redeemed future world. This is like, this is the time. Let your imaginations out because we have to be little children. Children are the epitome of the example of who we need to be to enter into and partake of the kingdom of Hashem. So let's Stop having our limitation and perceived notions because Egypt, by the way, is limitation. And Egypt is not just a place, it's also a mind state. So we have been able to freely just release all of the limitation. We're There are no limits. We are truly binary form of Captain Marvel right now. So let's let it fly. Let's go binary, galactic, whatever you want to call it. Bust out, okay? Torah, Vodachesed, hoping, and Amuna, Mashiach, like visualizing, express it, speak it out, cry out, and do it, okay? Be it. See it. Think about it. Change your thought life. Start giving your tithe. Bind yourself to a mitzvah, okay? Let it all, like, just full-blown. Just hit the, hit the switch all the way past 11. Just turn it all the way up. By the way, that's my definition of turned up. Anyway. So we eat matzah, we drink wine, just like we did at the Seder. We express our deepest and holiest visions for, for a redeemed future world. Ultimately, our basis for wanting the redemption, wanting Mashiach to return is not just for us and not just for getting back into the land, not just for rebuilding the temple, but so that all mankind could truly know God and for all the limitations and concealments to be taken away, all sickness, all disease, all famine, all death, you know, rolled just rolled away. It's gone. It ain't it don't even exist anymore. Only way we're going to know about death is by looking at the pierced place of the rock, looking at the piercings of Mashiach. That's it. That's the only way we're going to know about death. Other than that, it's not going to be existent. Obviously, it's going to take time for it to get there, but that's the beginning of it. OK, we're already in the beginning of it, quite frankly, even though some of us fall asleep now. Uh, so it says, just as we asked four questions at the Seder of Pesach, here we go. Four questions. These four questions, do them, embody them, cry out to Hashem, make it happen. Fill the world with this. Okay. It's appropriate for each person to ask themselves, do I really believe in the coming of Mashiach and the world peace and the redemption or and that world peace and redemption will actually occur? OK, so our, remember our 12th principle of Amuna, believe in the coming of Mashiach completely like I don't doubt it. I know it's going to happen and I'm praying that it happens earlier than later.
Question number two. Do I sincerely believe Mashiach could come at any moment, even today? Dot, 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 quote, parenthetical statement here. If we hear his voice and remember today, hearing his voice means we're constantly renewing ourselves, constantly making Teshuvah, even after Teshuvah, doing the word of Hashem, changing who we are, renewing ourselves as it were, like the moon. Number three, can we as individuals really help quicken the process of redemption? Can we? Can we really do it? I encourage everyone to study the art scroll of Yermiyahu, the uh, the with the annotated commentary in there, a noted commentary, because learning about the redemption, learning about Teshuva and overturning harsh decrees, Tractate Rosh Hashanah as well. That's something we need to understand because Yermiyahu is telling Yisrael. Babylon is coming. The temple will be destroyed. And they're like, no, we're good. There's other prophets that aren't even saying that. You're like the only one. So like, why should we listen to you? And they list the prophets. Babylon comes in, destroys the temple, and now shackles everybody and starts sending them in exile. And the people start making teshuva. And they're like crying out to Hashem. Yahu says, if you would have only done this before. So here it is with us. Hashem has already set the date that Mashiach is going to come regardless if we merit it or not. But this time when he comes in riding on a donkey, it's going to be after everything that happened so horribly in Revelation. Right now, while it is still today, we can still hear his voice. We can cry out and we can actually do things to merit it. Dial down those plagues and horrible destructions. Make them not as big as they could be. Okay. And Mashiach can come sooner. So understand that because Hashem truly listens to us. And then number four, have I truly tried to reveal my own inner spark of Mashiach? And this right here is kind of where the overlay of being a superhero and where the Avenger theme comes from, because it's truly just us letting out the light of Mashiach. I mean, some of us are electrified, you know, throw down. Some of us have optic blasts that come out of our eyes. We can see things, we can visualize it and we can elucidate it. We can pick up on it. Some of us throw shields of just unfairness and uh, talking about Rabbi Griffin because he just throws stuff out and you're just like, what? What? Okay. So it's like that. Is, is that how it is? Is this like that now? And yeah, and some of us hulk out and go crazy like a little kid and uh, throw heavy things. And it's just kind of like, OK. And some of us just build suit after suit after suit after suit and put sources out there like you would not believe. Either, either way, we all have a spark of Mashiach within us. And it's beautiful to have a superhero that you can cor correlate and pattern things after and parallel it so you can see how it all works. Because literally, that's the light of Mashiach at work. That's the quote-unquote energy that we're releasing into the world to manifest the redemption. May it be soon in our days. Ultimately, each person can only do their small part and contribute their Mashehu, their Mashiach basically, towards the goal of the world redemption. All we need is a few people just doing that. I don't know, like 12 or something. 
Anyway, uh, it says, and they can do their small part and contribute that. And it says, as Pesach ends and ebbs away, we all need to rededicate, oh, like Hanukkah, ourselves to this loftiest of goals by recapturing the spiritual big sand or big bang of the Seder night. Okay, so you can start Pesach with a Seder and end Pesach with a Seder, which is Mashiach Seuda. And both of those are massive explosions in the heavenly realms and then this realm as well. So let's do it. Let's bring the redemption, y'all. Let's bring it in. Don't be scared. Come on. Come on, Cletus. Come on. All right. I know y'all ain't scared. Okay. Anyway, when enough individuals succeed in kindling and fanning their inner spark of Mashiach, when we get enough superheroes, this will then create a critical mass of energy that will bring the final redemption into. Oh, did he just say a critical mass of energy? I'm sorry, Rabbi Trugman. What did you just say? When enough individuals succeed in kindling and fanning their inner spark of Mashiach, this will then create a critical mass of energy that will bring the final redemption into reality, maybe speedily in our days. Final point, in order for us to get through the Yom Suf, we have to have the bones of Yosef, which obviously speak of Mashiach ben Yosef. And when you have that critical component paired with everything that we just talked about during this whole podcast the sea is going to split and every other body of water in the world will split and we will be finally free from death from slavery from bondage from exile and go on into the final redemption finishing up the armor count being rectified from our state of impurity and going into a state of purity entering in through the mikvah of erev shavuot Staying up all night studying Torah to finally become one and unified with our proverbial Katan, our Chatan, which is our husband, which is Hashem, which is Mashiach. Okay, ultimately during the day of Shabbat. So may it be that we begin now preparing to do our final ascent. And what do we know? What do we know? But Adonai Yimlok Leolam Va'ed. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vekaye olam natavetokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha Torah. Amen.